excuse me, may I talk to you for a second? Yes. This is the Black Real Estate Dialogue, and the purpose of the Black Real Estate Dialogue is to document the journey of an up-and-coming real estate investor and to share the stories of successful Black real estate investors. Welcome back to the Black Real Estate Dialogue Podcast Closing Day in today's Closing Day features episode 78 with Day Iwatuta. And she is going to be talking about what it was like not only getting her first property, but how she was able to utilize it for an incredible profit on the back end. But it took a lot of ingenuity, resourcefulness, and of course, her sticking to her guns. And so Without any further ado, let's get into it. Episode 78 with Day Iwatuta. Would you say that like a lot of, well, I'm not sure if you know, but like, would you say a lot of these um, properties ended up in probate? Like they weren't necessarily passed to anybody or put in a trust or something? Yeah, you'd be surprised. No, a lot of them have been passed to people, but they're passed to people who one, can't keep up with it. Two, don't want to keep up with it. Um, like, for example, I put in an offer for one house. I didn't get that house, but I put in an offer and it was like the lady's aunt left it to her and she just couldn't keep up with it anymore. And she wanted to sell it to me because, you know, black young girl, you know, but um, it just there was an investor involved. And I'm sitting here nickel and diamond over an extra two, three thousand. I'm like, that investor can easily outbid me. So um, that wasn't the property for me. And I just want to remind everyone it's always OK to walk away. However, the house I ended up putting in an offer for the lady lived here for 60 years. She passed away. The son was the executor of the estate. He was ready to just get rid of it. I think, you know, there were siblings involved. They all just kind of wanted to get their money and move on. Um, So you'd be surprised. Most of these properties are legit. Like they will leave it to someone who might just see a payout and be like, okay, I'll just sell it. You know, so I ended up. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's a good idea at all. You know, yeah. that's the main reason why I actually even started Pachira Financials was because I just realized that financial literacy was really lacking in our community. You know, people didn't even know that you can put 3% down for a home. People didn't even know that there are first time homebuyer programs out there for you. You know, people didn't know that don't over leverage, don't take out all this credit card debt, be mindful when you're taking out student loan debt, things like that. I felt like, you know, a lot of people just don't know. And so for me, buying in Southeast was really important. So I mainly purchased in Southeast. That's where I look to. Um, I like my community. I love the neighborhood that I'm in. It's predominantly Black. And I hope that it can stay that way um, because there's a lot of money in a lot of these properties, you know. And, and so for me, I always tell people, especially in Black communities, if you want to fight gentrification, if you want to fight all of these things, you really need to invest in your community and be mindful of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, talk to us about the one, the the, the house that, that ended up working out. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> so the house, it was older. It had green carpet. Um, obviously, it hadn't been renovated. They lived here 60 years, you know. And I walked in and I said, you know, it's not it's not horrible. The thing that sold me about the house is the kitchen. It was actually a large kitchen addition. And the son, who was the executive of the will, he said that the older lady that lived here before me, she had dementia. So she kind of built that kitchen addition without telling them. <laughs> And so they were like, yeah, we don't know why she did that. He seemed kind of annoyed, but I was like, that kitchen edition just sold that house for you. So <laughs> so it was a big kitchen edition at an island and everything. That's really, really rare in D.C. You know, like a lot of these historic homes were just built really small. 
Um, so for me, that's what sold me. However, there was one issue about the home. The biggest issue was that it had radiators and there was no central air. So I told my agent, I said, I don't want a house with radiators because it's just going to be hard to sell. You know, it was 20, it was 2019, 2018 at the time, you know, 21st century can't have a house with radiators and need central air. So he was like, well, you can ask them to install central air. You know, the seller's agent mentioned if you want it installed, you can. And so I'm like, okay. So I put in my offer, pay closing and install central air. They rejected it clearly. (laughs) (laughs) And my agent was like, you know, the radiators, I mean, it gives the best heat. It may not even be the worst thing in the world, but I I stuck to my guns and I was like, no, 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 no. I definitely do not want radiators. And a week later, they actually accepted the offer. (laughs) So um, I think that I might've gotten lucky because the seller's agent was also a contractor. So he was going to be the one to install the central air. So I think maybe he might've persuaded the seller to do it. I'm not sure. What he said was that um, a lot of the buyers they had were first-time home buyers. And with a lot of those first-time home buyer programs, there are a lot of requirements and it can take a lot longer to close. I had financing secured. We closed in 30 days. So um, I think that the previous buyer's financing fell through. So they came back to me and they were just like, you know what, let's just move forward with this. Um, so he agreed to pay $14,000 towards central installing central air. Now this was so key to everything. Because that $14,000 literally is why my house is worth half a million right now. So um, I bought it for $335. And um, the house next door to me actually was purchased for $370, newly renovated. So for me, I already liked those numbers. I was like, okay. So the house next door is already, you know, these homes are already selling in the high 300s. I'm getting mine lower 300s. So I'm, I feel like it's a pretty good thing. Um, the, the money that they... The, the fact that they had to install central air, they had to rip up all the carpets. You know, they had mm-hmm. to do ductwork. They had to do so much stuff. So I pretty much got all new floors. Um, they had to rip up the roof, the ceiling. So I ended up just asking recess lights. They put recess lights in. You know, I just got so much included in there that by the time you walked into the house, and actually on my Instagram have some before and after pictures, by the time you walked into the house, it looked completely different. It was new hardwood floors. I put new blinds, all new fresh paint, you know, so it was like a completely different property. Um, and so I also had the seller pay closing costs, <laughs> which was so key. They paid closing costs. So I didn't really have to pay any closing costs. And then I found out that I ended up getting like a $5,000 grant. It was a grant that my lender actually found. And I think that organization was even based like in Georgia or something. So wow. definitely don't limit yourselves, like ask around, do your research. If you are a first time home buyer, unless your income is stupid high, make sure you secure some money. And also I always tell people, um, someone had told me when I was in grad school that it's best to buy your house early in your career when your income is still lower. So literally I was about $3,000 a year, literally $3,000 a year. Meaning if my paycheck was an extra, I don't know, hundred bucks every two weeks or whatever, it could have messed up the whole deal. Like, I think it was even like 2000. It was something crazy low where I was just Mm -hmm. under the threshold for qualifying for DC's first time home buyer program. So what that does is they have um, like a tax abatement program where recordation costs, you you have to pay, you know, like 3000 or 4,000 or however much for recordation costs. My recordation costs were completely waived. And then the recordation costs that the seller has to pay went to me. So when it was all said and done, you know, I got the $5,000 grant, seller paid closing, seller paid for renovations. Um, and also another key thing to note is that I feel like you always have more negotiating power when the home is paid off. The mm-hmm. seller had, that home was paid off. They lived there 60 years. So, you know, so like 
at the closing table, they literally got a check. So I think that an extra five, $6,000 when you're getting a $300,000 check, you know, it, it just gives you a little bit more negotiating power, just a little tip there. But um, so when it was all said and done, I got my closing statement from my lender and it said like a couple thousand dollars or something. I'm like, oh my goodness, like I did the calculations. I should not have had to put any more money down. So I I look again and it says money to borrow. And I'm like, whoa, because I had only paid my earnest money deposit at that time, which is 1% of the home. So a little over $3,000 was all I had paid. So then I'm getting my closing statement saying that I'm going to come to the closing statement and get a couple thousand dollars back. Like, I'm like, at that point, I'm getting paid to purchase a home. So I contacted my lender and I was like, um, is this like accurate? And she was like, oh, sorry about that. The grant you received does not allow you to get more than $250 back. So I'm going to just add all of that extra money as a reduction of principal. And at the closing table, I didn't have to put anything else down. I literally just got a check for $250. Wow. So for me, that was a crazy, stupid deal. Crazy, crazy. Can't believe I got that. Like, I still now think back on it like, wow, that's crazy. That neighbor's house, like right next door that I said sold for $370, they just let, they just sold their house um, in March or April and they just sold theirs for $470. Wow. And my house, mind you, is bigger than theirs because, mind you, I have the biggest kitchen on the block. I have a whole island. I have a big old kitchen addition. So I'm estimating that my house, if they sold theirs for 470, mine can at least be sold for around 480. So it's about almost at half a million. And mind you, just two years ago, I purchased it for 335. Wow. So can you talk about the importance of location? Because it seems like, you know, you had your eyes on Southeast D.C., um, for multiple reasons. But throughout the story, you mentioned a property next door that sold for a little more than yours did. And then one that sold for significantly more than yours did. Um, perhaps you could have predicted these things. Perhaps it's just a byproduct of choosing the right location where things are happening. So can you talk more about the importance of location? And location is key. In fact, I paid about $100,000 more for my property when I could have bought a house in Maryland. Like I live on the border of DC and Maryland. So I literally, there are homes two, like five minutes away, $100,000 cheaper, you know, just in a different zip code. And for me, I decided that I wanted to maintain, I wanted to stay in DC because that zip code was really important to me. A lender told me, he was like, the DC market is one of the best markets you can invest in. Why? The federal government, we're kind of almost immune to a recession because it's a lot of federal government workers. So even in a recession, the federal government is always gonna pay their bills. A lender also told me, he was like, every four years, there's a whole new administration that comes in every two years with Congress. So there's like a whole new set of people coming into the city every couple of years, you know? And then also DC is only so big. DC is a very small city. They're, it's running out of space. I mean, it's only so big. So eventually <laughs> they're gonna run out of space. So for me, I just felt like DC was just the place to be. You know, I just didn't see my home losing value in DC. Like it just seemed so hard. And then also during the time that I decided to invest in Southeast, one, I'm not gonna invest in Northwest. It's already blown up, you know? Uh, to get I, The amount that I paid for my townhouse my friend paid like 370 for a one bedroom apartment in DuPont Circle, which is like a really hot and popping area right next to the metro and everything like that. But I'm not spending $400,000 for a one bedroom. I can't house hack with a one bedroom. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Black Real Estate Dialogue Podcast. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Black Real Estate Dialogue and on Twitter at Bread Podcast. That's B-R-E-D Podcast. Until next time.